Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we wrap up the week. Thanks for letting us be part of your day. It's been quite a week, a lot going on. We have lots to talk about today. Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us. He has sent a letter to Australia encouraging them to buy U.S. ethanol rather than to uh, make any purchases from our strategic petroleum reserve. We'll talk about the situation in Australia and about efforts to get them to buy ethanol and get his reaction to the granting of more waivers to the RFS by EPA. So that's coming up. We're going to talk a number of ag issues today with the Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore, and we're going to hear from the National Association of Wheat Growers about uh, President Trump's comments recently about Japan buying wheat from us, but saying that they really don't want it. They do it because they want us to at least feel that we're okay. You know, they do it to make us feel good. We'll get the reaction from the National Association of Wheat Growers to, to those comments coming up a little bit later in our program. But let's start things off with the news. Joining us from DTN is Chris Clayton. Chris, thanks for joining us. Uh, this is the, the season for state fairs and farm shows, and it's also the uh, political season because with the with the uh, recess going on, the August recess, that gives a lot of these uh, members of Congress, especially the many that are running for office, running for president, a chance to go out and talk with people. And uh, we're seeing more and more proposals when it comes to agricultural policies. Are any of those uh, proposals uh, gaining traction or, or catching uh, on with, uh, with voters, you think? Um, well, good morning, Mike. I don't know if so much if any of these, any particular proposal on uh, rule America right now just kind of seizes everybody's attention, um, partially because you've just got so many candidates, and um, you know, even in Iowa, you know, the, you've got seven, eight candidates that uh, you know have some have some viable polling. Um, but everybody did come out, uh, not everybody, about eight or nine candidates came out and put out some specific uh, rule plans uh, before the um, Iowa State Fair started, and uh, those have just kind of been trickling out um, over the last uh, three or four weeks or so. Now, one of those plans that we've seen, Elizabeth Warren, I believe it is, talking about parity and set-asides and things uh, those are roads we've been down before yeah and you know her plan though um her focus isn't tremendously different than um than bernie sanders on some of that as well um sanders and warren when it comes to agriculture um really focus a lot on antitrust issues um breaking up the big companies uh, like bear monsanto etc um that's really been um you know most of their big focus warren has talked about um focusing uh farm subsidies on smaller family farms but no real defining definition of what small family farmer means um and she's talked about uh supply management for um for dairies um so uh those have been some of the areas that uh she is she has hit on mainly well, a lot of these proposals, of course, as is the nature of politics, are, are very general and, and do not contain a lot of specifics. Uh, but what are they saying on some of the environmental issues uh, with climate change and some of those things? Well, most of them have some sort of policy on climate change, and there's a lot of focus on uh, climate and agriculture right now, and that has been a push uh, by some uh, Democrats in Iowa specifically to really get the candidates to understand some of the issues around um, ag and climate change. Um, you've seen uh, uh, Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke uh, bring it up a little bit in debates about the idea that uh, farmers can sequester carbon. 
Um, some of the plans um, put some more emphasis on, you know, uh, expanding ethanol and uh, more forms of bioenergy. Uh, Joe Biden's plan in particular talks about, a, uh, you know, $400 billion in uh, clean energy investment and development and uh, specifically mentions promoting um, uh, ethanol. Um, so they're a lot more keyed in on this topic Um the relationship between um, agriculture and uh, renewable energy and climate change than um, than Hillary Clinton was uh, four years ago or three or four years ago. We're talking with Chris Clayton, ag policy editor for DTN. So, Chris, it remains to be seen who will emerge from this uh, large number of uh, candidates uh, on the Democratic side running for for president. Um, so when, whenever someone does emerge as the front runner, then we'll focus more on their ag policies. But it's interesting to see what they're talking about, especially at a time when it seems like President Trump has opened the door for these candidates in rural America. And I know there's a difference between uh, when you talk rural voters and farmers. I mean, uh, two different groups there, because you, a lot of people live in rural America that aren't farmers. I understand that. But just when you look at what's happened recently with the RFS waivers, when you look at the ongoing uh, trade war with China, you look at comments uh, the president made about uh, Japan and our buying our wheat. We'll talk about that later in the program. Uh, the president has opened the door for some of these candidates to, to try to get in, although it looks like the polling, I believe, in Iowa still shows farmers uh, supporting the president, right? Yeah, well, most of the polling I think you still see in uh, agriculture um, still shows very strong support for President Trump. Um, I, I think, you know, you're really going to have to take a look at where are the markets a year from now. Uh, farmers certainly know that, um, um, you know, uh, as far as election-wise, there's nothing that can be done until about a year from now. Uh, but, you know, where is corn? What's happening with soybeans, cattle? pork markets um, next summer is going to, I think, have a, have a much more bigger determination, you know, because then they'll have had three or four years of these policies and how much synergy has it really created in agriculture. Um, they've been holding out. They've been willing to give the president a serious chance on um, on trade uh, and the bat- you know, battles, but you know, do we get USMCA passed this fall? Does that make a big difference? Um, does something finally break with China? You know, uh, African swine fever has got everybody believing that somehow, some way, eventually they're going to have to buy our pork. Um, do these kind of dynamics change? And I, I think farmers, more than a, a lot of other people as independent businessmen, uh, a year from now are going to be really taking a look at and answering that question. Am I better off now than I was four years ago? Um, yeah. But right now they're holding on. A lot can happen in a year, and, and especially in the elections and politics, timing is key. So we'll see what happens in this next year. But it is interesting the way it is setting up right now. Chris, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Mike. Have a good weekend. You too. Ag Policy Editor for DTN, Chris Clayton. Up next, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. All right, we're going to talk some trade issues with the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, thanks for joining us. Before we get to the situation with China, 
I want your thoughts on the, the agreement reached between the U.S. and the EU to allow more beef into the European Union. What's the significance of that agreement? Yes, I think, uh, I think there's several levels of significance for this uh, beef agreement with the EU. Um, number one is that uh, it is one of our highest value destinations for U.S. beef on a per pound basis. And uh, what we've been struggling with the last couple of years is that uh, the quota has been overutilized, and you notice this duty-free quota was originally intended for the U.S. as a result of the hormone dispute going back for decades. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. In the fight against resistant weeds, you need to be prepared to fight back with the best possible herbicide rotation available. Kick off your soybean spray program with Syngenta's pre-emergence residual herbicides, Boundary or Broadaxe XC. Follow that with the hard-hitting post-emergence knockdown and residual herbicide Flexstar GT 3.5, and you'll be giving your soybean fields the protection they need to win the fight against weeds. To learn more, visit your local Syngenta retailer. Always read and follow label instructions when using Syngenta products. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, we've talked a lot about it, the EPA granting 31 more waivers to the RFS and really uh, creating more market destruction, demand destruction for biofuels and really hitting the industry when it's uh, it's it's already hurting. Uh, this all came, of course, after the president's visit, visit to Iowa this summer, and he said he was going to review uh, that policy. Now uh, there's a story out that it was a phone call from President Trump that ended that review and uh, led to the eventual decision to grant more waivers to the RFS. Let's get reaction to that from the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, thanks for joining us. So there was so much hope when the president said they were going to look, take another look at that policy. And, and now it looks like uh, he took a look at it and decided to go uh, with the oil industry rather than the biofuels industry. Well, Mike, thanks for having me, and that's sure the way it, uh, that's certainly the way it looks to us as well. Uh, we did have the president out at Council Bluffs, Iowa, at an ethanol plant earlier in June, and uh, he heard directly from farmers when he was there. He heard uh, from workers at the ethanol plant about the impact, the negative impacts of these exemptions and what it was doing to our marketplace, uh, and he, he looked at it and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to look into this. Uh, I, I hear you. Um, so we were you know, encouraged when we heard a few weeks later that he was, uh, he had directed uh, Secretary Purdue and, and Administrator Wheeler to get together and figure out a way to uh, to move forward on this process. We we took that as a as a good sign. Uh, so yeah, we were surprised, uh, we were shocked, and, and extremely disappointed on Friday uh, when EPA rushed out these additional 31 exemptions and just the way that it was done. Uh, kind of last minute on a Friday afternoon in August uh, would just added insult to injury. Um, and, and I think, you know, according to the Reuters article today, I mean, if, if that's true, uh, that's a huge disappointment. And, and really, we can no longer point the finger at, at a rogue EPA on these waivers if, if the president himself is personally involved 
in making these decisions, uh, then this uh, this falls squarely on, on him. Decisions are made, and they don't always go your way. Uh, we understand that. But when decisions like this are made, and then the president still claims to be a supporter of biofuels, those two don't mesh, do they? No, they're they're inconsistent. And, and again, you, you heard the president uh, in Council Bluffs at Southwest Iowa Renewable Energy uh, spent 40 minutes um, talking about the, the ethanol industry and about the importance of a healthy and robust biofuels uh, sector and what it means for farmers and his support for agriculture. Um, and, and we heard that all through the, the campaign in 2016 and, and throughout his, his first few years uh, as president. You know, he said when he campaigned um, that he would oppose any changes to the renewable fuel standard. Uh, well, granting you know, 1.4 billion gallons of, of waivers uh, for 2018, that's a pretty significant change to the RFS. Uh, and that's on top of the 2.6 billion gallons worth of waivers from the, from the previous two years. So um, it is inconsistent. It, it's confusing. It's, it's, uh, it's a mixed signal uh, to our industry, and it's, and it's uh, very concerning. So uh, there's hope, I guess, that um, maybe these lost gallons could be accounted for uh, in the next uh, uh, announcement for the RFS, the the RVO uh, levels. But if even if they, and there's no indication, I guess, yet that they would, but even if they did right. uh, allow for those or reallocate for those, if they're going to keep granting the waivers, you really don't gain any ground, do you? No, that's right. I mean, if, if if they give some back and then turn around and take some more away, uh, you know, with with the next round of small refiner exemptions, then then it ends up being a wash. Um, we, we've always said, uh, look, we understand the law allows you, as EPA, to to give out exemptions to small refiners that can show disproportionate economic harm. That's in the law. We get that. Um, so we're not opposed, uh, of course, to EPA following the law and and doing that if it's warranted as long as they do what else the law tells them to do, which is um, you know, reallocate or redistribute any of those exempted volumes to non-exempt refiners. And so far, EPA has you know, been not only been you know, um, very uh, expansive with their use of these waivers, but they have failed to redistribute or reallocate those exempted volumes, and that's really what's leading to demand destruction in our markets. We're talking with Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, as we've talked before, the ethanol industry getting hit hard by the trade war with China, uh, the loss of uh, that market for ethanol exports that were really starting to grow there. Uh, So you're looking other places. Uh, You've sent a letter to Australia. You're hoping they will buy U.S. ethanol. Well, Mike, yeah, it's interesting. Australia is seeking access to the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve because their own oil reserves are running very low. Uh, they have less than two months of coverage. Um, so if there's a major global supply disruption, uh, they're going to be in big trouble, and, and they know that. They're about 75 to 80% reliant on petroleum imports in Australia, so they're looking for other sources of, of supply, and again, seeking access to our country's strategic petroleum reserve. Uh, we have plenty of oil in our own reserves, but it's it's there for a reason, too. So. We did send a, a letter to the uh, energy energy minister in Australia earlier this week and said, hey, we've got a better idea than trying to um, tap into our SPR. Uh, let us send you some ethanol. Um, we've got, obviously, plenty of, of supply available for export, uh, and, uh, you know, we think Aust- Australia's consumers would, would benefit greatly from greater access to uh, U.S. ethanol, and we think it would help spur growth in their own uh, domestic biofuels industry, but we can't get into that country right now because they have a uh, basically a $1 per gallon customs tax and a 5% tariff on top of that, uh, and those are extremely uh, high and, and punitive barriers that are keeping our product out of that market. So what are the chances, you think? What would, any indication they would be willing to at least adjust or lower those tariffs? Well, that's that's what our appeal was to uh, to the Australian government this week. Is is hey, let's uh, let's work together to uh, open the market and and create a, a free market opportunity 
uh, for ethanol imports. And, and we think, you know, what happens as a result of that is you reduce your, your need or your dependence on petroleum imports. Um, and at the same time, you know, Australia is a party to the Paris uh, Climate Agreement. Um, so they're looking for ways to reduce their greenhouse gas emissions. Ethanol can certainly help them do that. Um, and it also creates space in there in the Australian fuel market for more renewables and and helps you know incentivize growth in in their own industry. Um, you know Australia has been open in the past to the idea of of biofuels. They've been very interested in developing an ethanol industry uh, on that continent um, and just have had fits and starts and haven't been able to to really make a go of it. So we're hopeful that uh, you know maybe you know given the current circumstances, they'll take a hard look at our suggestion and, and uh, consider increasing their use and uh, of biofuels and, and allowing access uh, to that market. I think all of agriculture right now scrambling to find, not that they weren't already, but trying even yeah. harder to find other markets to make up for the loss of China. Are there some other markets around the world that uh, uh, could be big buyers of U.S. ethanol? Uh, Mike, we're very focused in uh, Southeast Asia uh, today and, and actually, you know, other places, uh, North Africa. Uh, there are some some markets that you wouldn't necessarily think of as, as being um, prime ethanol uh, markets, but we, we are seeing a lot of interest uh, in some of these places. And, and you know, obviously there's a, a lot of population and a, a growing middle class in, in Southeast Asia and more people buying automobiles. Uh, their demand for petroleum continues to escalate quickly. Uh, so we are focused in, in that region and, and seeing uh, a pretty good response. Um, you know, overall, our exports are, are very likely going to be down this year uh, because of the loss of the Chinese market and because of some barriers we're seeing in Brazil as well. So we are uh, looking at every nook and cranny uh, around the world, and, and again, that's why we thought uh, Australia, you know, presents an interesting opportunity in light of what's happening there with their own energy uh, and trade policies. Hopefully, they'll take you up on your offer. We'll look forward to seeing what their response is. Jeff, thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Mike. Have a good one. Mm-hmm. Take care, Jeff Cooper, President and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association. Lots of issues to talk about going on, uh, whether it's in trade or whether it's uh, uh, the biofuels or the crop report that came out recently. A lot of people have questions about that. So many things going on in agriculture right now. We'll talk about those with the Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore, will join us next here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. A purchase of 296,500 metric tons worth of soybeans for delivery to unknown destinations in September. Reported by USDA today, the unknown destinations suggesting the possibility that perhaps China is still buying U.S. agricultural products just under different names, according to the market chatter. 
November soybeans broke out to the downside yesterday. On the downside, November bean bears see a major chart objective at 854.5, the low from August 5th. An hour into the day, November at 878.5, up 7 and 3 quarters. December corn shrugged off modest intraday weakness yesterday and closed marginally firmer. We are three to four and a fraction higher an hour in on this Friday. December now up a nickel at 376. Chicago wheat September up a penny and three quarters, 470 and three quarters. Kansas City September up three and a half, 393 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat September up three at 505 and three quarters of a cent. Livestock at the Merck in live cattle futures. We're trending 45 to 60 cents higher. Nearby August contract at $100.80 per hundredweight. That's up 60 cents. We've seen cash cattle sales this week at 170 dress down $10 compared to a week ago. Live deals at 105 down $5. Feeder cattle, August contract, 50 cents higher, 136.27. Lean hog futures, October up 90 at 65.90. On Wall Street, the Dow up 229 points, NASDAQ up 76, September crude oil in New York down 11 cents. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Joining us now to talk ag issues is the Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Dale Moore. Dale, how are you? I'm very good, Mike. How are you doing? I, I heard Rusty's update on the markets, and it's nice to hear at least a little bit of positive news kind of coming yeah. back in after we had a rough start to the week. We need some positive news for sure, and I guess that's a good place to start because it seems like most of the news in agriculture right now is is negative. Uh, what are you hearing from your members across the country? Well, it's that uh, ongoing series of, of frustrations of how difficult it is to get uh, some of these trade issues sorted out. You know, there's a lot of appreciation, uh, you know, expressed relative to the president and Secretary Purdue's efforts to provide some trade assistance authority on top of other, you know, getting the new farm bill implemented, getting the, the process on the disaster bill. Those, you know, a lot of work going on at those FSA offices trying to help folks out. But, man, what we would really love to see is some resolution. This, uh, this yo-yo in China's ongoing, you know, basically attacks back at the United States, uh, hitting farmers and ranchers is just getting very frustrating. So we're hopeful we're going to see some progress on USMCA. We're going to see some progress you know, on Japan, uh, we celebrated uh, at least uh, some notional progress on getting the EU and the beef thing sorted out a little bit. Uh, but, boy, we've got to get this China situation resolved. Earlier this week, I was at the Missouri State Fair and talked with Missouri Farm Bureau President Blake Hurst, and he indicated that he felt farmers in his state, uh, their patience was running thin on some of these issues. Do you, do you pick up on that in other parts of the country as well? Well, here's what we're picking up, Mike, and, and I would have to echo what Mr. Hurst was was talking about, and that is, you know, they, they've got a great bit of confidence in the president and his efforts to try and straighten China out. That's something that uh, I don't think it's any secret to anybody. They're, they're not a, a consistent, uh, certain trading partner in the best of times. Uh, 
But this ongoing process of, of dealing with Mother Nature, dealing with the trade markets, dealing with the volatility that's going on, and then you have hiccups that hit the markets like we saw with uh, the plant uh, fire out at Holcomb at the Tyson's plant and how that kind of roils the markets a bit. All of those things coming together on top of Mother Nature not being the most cooperative business partner this year has really got folks frustrated and, and right on edge. It's kind of a a perfect storm of uh, of negative events, I guess, all kind of hitting agriculture at once. And then uh, we just talked in the last segment with Jeff Cooper with Renewable Fuels Association, the concerns about uh, granting of more waivers to the RFS. It, it just seems like uh, there a lot of hits are coming all at once here. Well, that's, that is absolutely on target because that's one of the things we've heard, particularly for those who pay a lot of attention to the renewable fuel standards and and uh, the impact that has on the ethanol market, which in turn obviously has an impact on corn and, and where that is going, as well as, you know, we're looking at the, the other biofuels, like with biodiesel and so forth. Those, those ongoing uh, series of, of uh, they're called small refinery waivers, but they definitely have had an impact, you know, this year, last year, and uh, our hope is that we'll get a handle and get those roped in. We're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, let's look ahead, Dale. Uh, when Congress gets back uh, this fall, USMCA, what are you hearing as far as the chances of that getting passed this year? Uh, we're hearing very positive things. I know uh, one of our other Farm Bureau presidents, uh, Rich Gubert in Illinois, had uh, a good conversation, solid conversation with uh, Speaker Pelosi just uh, earlier this week had an opportunity to visit with her, and uh, the clear indications are she is moving, uh, going to be moving to make sure we get USMCA up and, and out the door and over to the Senate side. Uh, we know that, uh, you know, the senators have been working on it as well. Uh, we're hearing positive things. Ambassador Lighthizer and his team have been uh, doing a regular series of visits on Capitol Hill, and uh, probably the best barometer I can give you on how those meetings are going is just uh, when our folks have visited with particularly Democrat members in the House, uh, a show of appreciation that the ambassador is taking time to come up and sit down and visit with them. Certainly some issues uh, that we know kind of behind the scenes are still getting sorted out. But right now we feel confident that, uh, you know, before we get, uh, hopefully before we get to Thanksgiving, we're going to see USMCA done in the House and hopefully done in the Senate and back on the president's desk. And then hopefully... uh maybe even this year, too, a deal with Japan. That's one of the things that's uh, been really encouraging. We know that uh, there was a bit of a hiccup, uh, maybe more than a bit of a hiccup, uh, the frustration with the comments the president made about wheat. Uh, I can only imagine that that maybe he was uh, thinking rice instead of wheat because rice trade with Japan has always been a challenge. Uh, but Japan's been a number one uh, wheat market for us for some time, and that's one of the things that, as we continue to work forward, and, and I know, again, uh, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office and Secretary Purdue's team having those ongoing conversations uh, with Japan, that's another bright spot that would certainly uh, put a little boost back in, in uh, farmers and ranchers, uh, I guess, kind of on that kitchen table while they're sitting around trying to pencil out the rest of this year and, and figure out what in the heck's going to happen for next year. Uh, it'd be nice to get USMCA done. It'd be nice to see a, a deal come together with Japan and start uh, getting some of these trade issues kind of put to the side and, again, uh, ho- hopefully giving everybody then a chance to really focus on getting China straightened out because, uh, you know, those those body blows we're catching from China as they do their tariffs on U.S. and, in fact, just shutting down our markets over there, that, that's a really tough impact, and it takes a lot of countries and a lot of sales around other parts of the world to make up for that trade loss. Yeah, that's the situation with China is the, the kind of the cloud that hangs over everything, isn't it? Uh, it sure is. And, again, you know, it's, uh, it's, and I've heard you talking about this, too, off and on, where you're looking at all the things that, that farmers and ranchers are dealing with uh, in our you know, partners in the in the industry are dealing with, and you know, it's one thing if we're dealing with the trade issue. It's one thing if we're dealing with you know tough weather patterns or you know crazy market signals that have got us jumping up and down and sideways. But when all three of those things come together, I think your perfect storm analogy, uh, uh, it's it's just rough, man. And and there's unfortunately, 
uh, all of the things that ha- that are going on right now, uh, particularly you know for farmers all across the country, for ranchers all across the country, trying to deal with those issues and figure out you know what is the best move uh, to manage that risk is is a big big challenge. Dale, give us an update on efforts to get uh, broadband to rural parts of America. Well, that's one that we've been really encouraged. Uh, when we had a fly-in here just a couple of months ago, one of our major issues that we had folks uh, blanketing the hill and talking to folks about was broadband and that connectivity out there. And, and we've seen uh, a lot of efforts on the hill, recognition in a very bipartisan uh, or nonpartisan almost way of of recognizing how important broadband is, you know, not just to farmers and ranchers, but to rural communities. We've seen recognition of one of those issues that uh, we've been working on for some time, which is getting uh, the folks that look at those maps of where broadband service is being deployed and recognizing that those maps are not necessarily accurate. Uh, We're very pleased that uh, we've got uh, Federal Communications and USDA working together on a task force a working group coming together and being able to, uh, I guess it's called the the FCC Precision Agricultural Task Force, created as part of the the 2018 Farm Bill, and uh, we've been working a lot with a coalition of you know, the Ag Broadband Coalition to make sure that we get as many farmers and ranchers, uh, you know, on that task force as as is allowed uh, to be able to provide that input, and we know we're going to get a lot of. Uh, opportunity to just share not only how important broadband is but how can we address some of these issues uh, and make sure that that you know whether it's on the farm uh, or out in the middle of a field somewhere or you know they're like for my mom they're at home uh, she's got the broadband she needs to, to conduct business and and all these new uh, you know tools that farmers and ranchers have uh, that need that broadband access uh, just in day-to-day management. Those things are going to be very critical, and it's one of those issues that, uh, you know, with all the the tension that goes on in Washington these days, uh, that's one where we see a lot of bipartisan work going on on both sides of the hill. And one other note before we wrap it up. Change, proposed changes to the Endangered Species Act. Uh, some are in favor of the changes. Uh, others have opposed them. What are you hearing? Well, we are pleased to see uh, Secretary Bernhardt and his team move forward. Uh, the Department of Interior made some great strides forward. Endangered species is a really tough issue uh, to approach. Uh, you know, going back here, not that, I guess, two, three years ago, uh, we conducted a survey, and one of the interesting things that came out of that sur- survey was 75% of those folks, and this was a representative sample of, of a cross-cut of the, the country, agreed that there needed to be some changes, uh, you know, to the Endangered Species Act. Now, to your point that some like the changes uh, the Secretary proposed and some don't, for us, uh, we like them. Uh, For others, uh, it kind of fits in with what the survey told us, because of the 75% that said we needed to make some changes, about half thought that the, you know, the regulations and the rules and the laws needed to be uh, lightened up a bit and more flexible to address the concerns and show real results. And we also had about half the folks uh, indicate that those rules needed to get tougher and stronger and and more limiting on on what landowners could do on their property. So those kind of things going back and forth uh, just indicate that that the Secretary's taken a good step forward. We look forward to working uh, with his team, getting our comments in, just like a lot of other folks are, uh, and hopefully look forward to seeing these regulations and changes uh, brought to a close here pretty quick. All right, Dale, good to talk with you again. Appreciate it. Anytime, Mike, and thank you for all you do to keep folks informed as to what's going on out there. All right, thank you. Dale Moore, Executive Vice President for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Up next, we'll hear from the National Association of Wheat Growers about some of those comments made by the President recently concerning Japan buying our wheat. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, 
you need to give us a call right now. Private health care is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, Ragweed, the fertilizer's really good over here. Ooh, better get it before that corn does, water hemp. Hey, corn, want some phosphorus? Oops, I ate it all. <laughs> if weeds are laughing at your corn herbicide, try Acuron. It silences the toughest weeds you'll come up against. Hey, corn, sorry if I got out of line. Unlike you. Get the last laugh. Talk to your Syngenta reseller about Acuron. Hey, water hemp, you're looking kind of yellow. Always read and follow label instructions. Acuron is a restricted-use pesticide. Bad theater seats, cheap Halloween masks, my apartment, all things with obstructed views. Add to these large trucks and buses. 18-wheelers and large buses have big blind spots, and like my apartment, they don't always have the best view. Bus and truck drivers deal with blind spots around the entire vehicle. Always take care not to ride alongside or too close behind them. Our roads, our safety. Learn more at sharetheroadsafely.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. Well, let's get an update on the ongoing battle with soybean cyst nematode. Joining us now is University of Illinois plant breeder Dr. Brian Deers. Brian, thanks for joining us. I was just thinking in this year with all the crop production challenges, SCN is another challenge, a profit robber, a yield robber that uh, sometimes flies under the radar, just not as obvious, not as uh, easily seen uh, as a, a weather event. That's absolutely correct. Here in Illinois, where we have very good soils, we often will have losses from SCN, and people won't, won't see any above-ground symptoms. Plants will look very healthy, but yet there will be losses due to SCN. What you can do is just take soil samples, send them to a testing lab, and they'll at least tell you whether or not SCN is present in the field, and they'll also tell you how big of a problem it is. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. 
Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, a few days ago, the president was in Pennsylvania delivering some remarks, uh, primarily on energy, but started talking about trade with Japan. And he said, many car plants, they're coming in from Japan. I told Prime Minister Abe, great guy, I said, listen, we have a massive deficit with Japan. They send thousands and thousands, millions of cars, and we send them wheat. Wheat, that's, that's not a good deal. And they don't even want our wheat. They do it because they want us to at least feel they, that we're okay. You know, they do it to make us feel good. Those were the comments by the president earlier uh, this week. Let's get some reaction to that from the Director of Communications for the National Association of Wheat Growers, Caitlin Ianello, joins us. Caitlin, thank you for joining us. Uh, how, do, how does the uh, wheat industry react to those comments by the president? Well, first, thank you for having me. And, you know, I think like many of our wheat growers, we were very surprised at the president's remarks that he made, um, especially, as you mentioned, he was there for uh, to speak about energy and then diverted to a conversation around uh, trade in Japan. Do you feel that, uh, that it was disrespectful of the U.S. wheat industry? Uh, was he making light of it, or do you think it, that's uh, taken out of context or misconstrued? So I do think that, you know, they're very disheartening remarks, especially when uh, we are trying to, you know, finalize uh, a deal with Japan. I think it, um, you know, belittles the value of wheat and what we bring to the table. You know, Japan doesn't buy our wheat just to make us feel good. They buy it because it is the highest quality wheat in the world. And uh, they want um, specifically for that reason. We also, um, you know, have a huge market share in Japan, just about over 53%. So, yes, the president's remarks were, you know, we were a little taken aback by them. And um, it's, again, unfortunate, especially as we're trying to, you know, finalize a deal with Japan and move forward with, um, you know, other trade deals. Because as you pointed out, Japan is a key market, obviously, for all of U.S. agriculture, but it's, uh, the wheat industry, uh, for wheat growers, it's, an, it's a big market. It is. You know, on average, Japan um, imports, especially the past five years, around 2.91 million metric tons. So they are, you know, are one a number one market for us. And, um, you know, again, we, it's about a billion dollars each year. So, you know, it's not a small market. It's one that we obviously value. And, you know, our growers export 50% of wheat in the United States. So, obviously, you know, trade and open markets are something that we value highly. Yeah, and they're not just buying it to make us feel good, right? I mean, they value our wheat, and the, uh, there's a demand for our wheat in, in Japan. There is. Um so, again, you know, Japan buys around 3 million metric tons a year. Specifically, they buy what is known as Western white wheat, which is a mixture of soft white and club white from the Pacific Northwest. And it's grown specifically for Japanese millers. So, yes, they aren't buying it just to make us feel good. They are, you know, buying it because we provide a product that they want. Caitlin, as we talk uh uh, trade issues, uh, whether it's with Japan or China or USMCA. I mean, it, it seems wherever you turn, trade is the big issue for agriculture. Uh, is that what you're hearing from wheat growers across the country as well? It is. You know, we hear from our members. It's one of the policy priorities that we have established for 2019 is to, you know, move ahead with trade deals. We've been really pushing Congress to finalize USMCA. We've been, you know, pushing the administration to end the tariffs on Chinese goods and to, you know, move forward with China. The, um, you know, recently the administration, you know, debuted out MVP, MFP payments, which um, were helpful, but it's, you know, a short-term fix that, you know, isn't a long-term solution, which is what we really need. And, you know, to move forward with other um, trade deals that you know are coming down the pipeline. How is the trade war with China impacting U.S. wheat growers? 
So I think, you know, it's a little bit, um, again, you know, we're already suffering from, you know, prices, extreme weather, you know, things like that. And this is just compounding, you know, on top of all the things that we're, they're already going through. So, you know, you're pushing through it. But again, you know, we want to end the trade war with China and then just move forward with new trade deals. Are you sensing frustration from your members, from growers across the country? You know, we are. It's actually um, funny. I think it's a, a little bit, um, there's a lot of mixed um, feelings, and I think that's the case across all of the commodities. Um, you know, we understand that China isn't um, the best, you know, trading partner. They obviously have violated a few um, trading laws, but... You know, we have been winning and fighting them through the WTO and um, obviously other methods that have worked. So, you know, we don't believe that these tariffs, which are self-inflicted, are the best route to resolve this, you know, trade war and this this crisis. So, um, you know, I think our growers recognize, again, that China, you know, has been violating trade laws, um, but they also are really getting hit hard by these uh self-imposed tariff. All right, Caitlin, thank you very much. Good to talk with you, and uh, we'll hope for some good uh, news on those trade fronts soon. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, that is Caitlin Ianello, Director of Communications for the National Association of Wheat Growers. With that, we'll wrap it up for today and for the week. Hope you have a great weekend. Join us again on Monday. We'll have another busy week ahead as we take a look at at these issues and and get the latest on uh, on trade as well as uh, the RFS and a lot of these other issues that are impacting agriculture and rural America right now uh, in our search for some positive news. Hopefully next week we'll bring it and we'll be here to uh, talk about it on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. You may not realize how important three letters can be. For a patient who needs type A, B, or O blood, these letters can mean life. But there simply aren't enough people giving blood. Every two seconds, someone in the U.S. needs it. But only about 3% of the population donates. Without more donors, hospitals may not have the blood needed to save lives. That's why the American Red Cross needs people to help restore the A's, B's, and O's that are depleting each day. When you make your appointment to donate blood at redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types, you can help give strength to kids parents, and grandparents who face life and death challenges. From cancer patients to accident survivors waiting for critical surgeries, your generosity can give someone more life. Don't wait until the letters A, B, and O are missing from hospital shelves. You are the missing type patient's need. Visit redcrossblood.org forward slash missing types or call 1-800-RED-CROSS to make your donation appointment today. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council.